So welcome back to the After Ellen podcast. I'm your host, Jocelyn McDonald, Managing Editor. And I'm here talking today to Tanya Wexler, who is the director of the new movie, Buffaloed. And I just finished this movie. It was incredible. It's a comedy starring Zoe Deutsch. And I hope I said that right, Tanya. Yeah. Okay, great. So a very quick summary and elevator pitch for this movie. The movie is about a woman who is tired of the relative um, poverty that she's been living in and is ready to get rich and (laughs) work the system to her advantage. So she starts her own business in um, collecting debt and uh hijinks ensue so i just thought this was an incredible film um i i had no expectations going into it i had no idea what the film was about um i just knew that it was directed by a lesbian and i'm always about that <laughs> so when Wait, i what Sorry, I just outed you. What? (laughs) Okay, so the other thing I was so excited about when I started watching this movie, um, the movie's called Buffaloed, and I don't know why I didn't um, read the press release very carefully, but I didn't realize it was going to be about uh, this Rust Belt town. It's set in Buffalo, and the um, being from Western New York myself, I grew up in Rochester. Um, My son goes to RIT. Oh, okay, cool. The the film was, I know um, a lot of the production was in Toronto, but the film is so, um, it is such a faithful representation of Rust Belt America, and it felt so good to just be immersed in that world. It was so colorful, and that everybody had just a slight Buffalo accent, and the way people speak to one another was very true to... Uh, the cadence and the language and when i just um within within 10 minutes of being in the movie i felt so immersed i was just like take me to buffalo here i am (laughs) yay yeah i mean i'm a midwestern gal but i'm from chicago so i have a real affinity for the rust belt um but the screenwriter uh who also plays uh sal scarpetta in the film um Brian Saka grew up in Buffalo. It's his love letter to Buffalo. Like even as he um, sent it up, he also just loves and adores it. So mm-hmm. I think that's what I loved about it. It wasn't just making fun of anyone, nor was it just pasting over its flaws. It really was that local um, local love slash, you know, trouncing. And I, I read it and it was just so funny. And Zoe was already attached and she was producing... Oh. And um, so I was super excited because I, I had loved her in, you know, both set it up from the kind of more mainstream thing, but also flower and a lot of the work she had done. And then I read the script and I thought, oh my God, like what a great marriage of an actress to a part. And um, for me, I was like super frustrated feeling like I kept losing out on movies I wanted to do to dudes. And I was just like, called my agent was like, just send me something with a woman shooting people. Um, Cause I was so annoyed. And, um, and this, it, she doesn't really shoot people but she does. She does start with the gun in her hand in the first, you know, first frame. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I just made me laugh, but I just thought, I really loved that There was an unapologetic um, anti-hero of a woman, she didn't have to be perfect. She had unbridled ambition. Ambition. Let me say that again. She had unbridled ambition and uh, 
and greed really mm. and a color that you know is not something we let like women have and mm. um and i just thought it was so fun to have this totally unapologetic character who's just like gave no fucks and although she said fuck like a lot um <laughs> and i just it was so fun and it was just right where i wanted to be um, I wanted to stop apologizing as an artist. I wanted to be brave and bold and brash and make my mistakes and learn things. And so it was a really fun way to do that. So listeners to the podcast may not recognize Tanya's name, but you will <laughs> recognize her films. Um, one of your films, Hysteria, starred A-listers. And I think that just as you were saying, you know, in this film, you were, you were going for something really bold. That film is definitely very bold. And for, <laughs> for viewers who haven't um, seen that movie, it's about the Victorian attitudes around women's sexuality that um, gave rise to the vibrator because the treatment for what was diagnosed as hysteria was to give women orgasms. Yes. And that so, was the nicest treatment. <laughs> there was also very, very good you know, hysterectomy and lobotomy and all those fun things. So mm -hmm. that was probably not the best consent wise, but certainly better than a lobotomy. Right. And so <laughs> your, your filmmaking style is definitely bold and woman centered and, and requires a very strong female character. So, um, yeah, I mean, I just like inconvenient characters kind mm. of gender is the, like, I seem to be more interested in, um, I don't know, stories that in, in some way have to do with women. I mean, right. Hugh Dancy mm -hmm. was weirdly actually the lead of, mm -hmm. um, hysteria. So, I just want there to be good roles for people of all genders. And then um, I like the idea of like someone who's not meant to play this part or that part playing it. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I like to just mix it up because I think um, the characters come to life and it speaks to me more. And I know how to tell those stories. So in Buffaloed, we already spoke a little bit about Zoe Deutsch. And if you don't know her name, she is recognizable in a, in a few movies lately. And she, she was also very recently in two Netflix outfits. One of them is The Politician, which is a Ryan Murphy um, creation. And then also in the film, we've got the cutie patootie gay guy from <laughs> Schitt's Creek, uh, Noah Reed, who is the, the love interest of... Um, of the guy with the eyebrows. Right. Um, plays Zoe's, he plays Zoe's brother in, in our movie. And then we've yeah. got Judy Greer, who you might remember from, she was the, the best friend uh, slash work rival in 13 going on 30, um, which, I, you know, this is like such a random memory of mine. Oh, she's but on it's, Kidding right now. Um, oh, she's on Kidding. Okay, so yeah. much more contemporary. I don't know <laughs> how many listeners are obsessed with um, teen romantic comedies as I am, but 13 Going on 30 is one of my favorite movies. <laughs> so the, oh, and then we're also Jermaine, uh, Jermaine Fowler. Fowler, is that yeah, he's great. He's been in a bunch of recent stuff too, so viewers might know him from um, he was in Sorry to Bother You, and right. he's also a stand up, I think. Yeah, he's a great stand up too. Yeah. So the cast of this movie was just so dynamic and energetic. And I think the real surprise, like Dark Horse, is Jai Courtney, who you think of as this like action star, and he played Wiz, and he played like this great bad guy who is really funny. And you know, you think of him in Die Hard Four, you know, or like in, um, you know, these kind of kick ass. He played like the 
what's his name, the Suicide Squad, the like boomerang guy and everything. And he's like this like ratty Aussie guy. And mm -hmm. he just nailed that Buffalo accent, like just, you know, Good point. totally yes. nailed it and was really fun. I, I think people don't expect him to be kind of a good character and comedian and character mm -hmm. actor and comedian. He's fantastic. Sorry. Just no, give him some, a shout out too. Cause I love him. So I did love all the accents in the, in the yeah. film too. And I just thought that I, I was, I think that viewers will be um, delighted by the cast because there's going to be so many people that you recognize and you're going to be like, Oh, I know them from whatever. And so it's not like an A-list or it's not like, you know, the star of every movie, but it is actors that you're going to recognize and be like, yes it's you and every single performance was awesome zoe's performance absolutely carried the film and and blew me away but there wasn't a single character who didn't bring it and so i wanted to ask you to talk a little bit about um what it was like getting the chemistry between mm. all those actors i mean you know i think people have this fantasy that we walk around going and just going, I'll take one of those and one of those and one of those. And it doesn't quite work like that. I mean, in this case, Zoe was a producer. She was on before I was, she hired me. So the chemistry there was like her, you know, and that was fantastic. Um, Cause it was so perfect, like for her. And then, you know, some of the actors you kind of know, or you're like, if they're a bigger deal, like, you know, Judy Greer is going to knock it out of the park. Like, Judy Greer don't want to audition, mm -hmm. you know, for a movie like this, like you're, you chase Judy Greer. And, um, but then, you know, what I really enjoyed was all the casting also of like Peg's gang, all of her, the people in her company, and then Wiz's gang and all the kind of bad guys there. And that was really fun, you know, but it was, it was kind of intense because we were casting out of Toronto and New York and LA. So you'd be getting tapes in and you'd be, you know, having people read and come back and, and it's funny, it's like the chemistry just happens live and in person. You don't get a ton of rehearsal on an independent film or really any film these days. You just have to like throw everyone into the deep end and hope it all works. And you knew that this was going to work because Brian's script was so strong that even as the supporting actors were like doing reads, you could just hear, are they in our movie or are they not in our movie? You know, and then what we were really lucky with was that for the most part, people were all able to improvise because, you know, Brian's writing was so strong that I, it wasn't like, Oh, make it up. Like everyone loved his writing and everyone wanted to do, you know, a take or two as written because the writing was so crackling on the page. Mm -hmm. But once we got that, then I could be like, okay, just like, go for it. And I didn't even have to say anything because they would just do it anyway. So I couldn't have stopped them if I wanted to, but I didn't want to. And then like, sometimes they would just, you know, Judy and Zoe happen to go to the same acting teacher and, and they do have a, sometimes they'll sit and improvise. So like after we'd get one or two, that was the way it was written, they would just start doing crazy, crazy shit and like screaming at each other. But they found all sorts of funny authentic like right there in the moment kind of details and color to it and that was that was a joy and I think that as a director just means try to get the environment get what you need and then like let talented people play because they'll find more interesting stuff than you could have just thought up in your own head um so 
I, I sorry, I'm just losing my train of thought because I have okay. this list of questions, <laughs> and I'm and just jumping all over. No, you've answered literally all of them in order, <laughs> and I'm just like, wait a minute, how is this interview going so well? Oh my god, it's I don't even have to do it. You just tell me everything I want to know. It's fantastic. So one of the cool things I wanted to ask you about too was, um, so Zoe Deutsch's performance in this. I mean, from the moment that you see her on screen, the way she moves, her body, she embodies the character down to every cell like it radiates um her her motivations her thoughts and her the um her character just radiates out of her body and so i wondered if you um is she like that in real life like is she playing is she playing uh is she exaggerating her character as uh or is she does she just move that expressively i mean her training was first in dance so I think, yes, she moves that expressively. And I think she is as high energy as Peg is, but she is a far better person than Peg is. I mean, Zoe is not like a kind of, like she's very ambitious for a career, but she's not this like unbridled ambition or greed. She's always kind of collaborative and w working really for what's best for the piece and like I think you know the character of Peg is really struggling with this like voracious ambition and greed that steps on all her relationships you know and and then ultimately has to learn a bit about how that isn't really getting her what she wants in life whereas I think Zoe is like a um, incredibly kind thoughtful holistic person who often will kind of take herself, like, you know, like a lot of us, like she'll kind of step on her own needs sometimes, right. You know, to, you know, to get something better for the piece, right. Or get, you, you know what I mean? I think she's very much in service of the work. She wants it to be right. She's a perfectionist, but it's about the work. It's not about her ego. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, but she's super high energy. She's a super hard worker. I mean, it's wonderful as a director because she gives you all these choices. She'll try. She's like, let me try a fast one. Let me try a slow one. And sometimes you're like, I don't got time for all these ones. <laughs> but, you know, she nails it usually in the first couple of takes. And then she wants just room to find the range of the character. And if we had more time, like we probably would have had, you know, more shots or more, um, more takes. But she really gives you everything. She gives you all the crayons in the crayon box if you can make the room for it. And then, um, so, you know, in that way she has a lot of like Peg's drive, but it's not kind of as misdirected. And there's a, like a much more holistic, like union between like self and others, you know, in her, which is crazy because she's like, you know, 12 years old. Like she's like so young, right? She's like 25 or something, but she's very poised and very um, grown up in her professionalism and her kindness. And boy, that girl, like for little skinny girl, like can eat like more than, I mean, she eats very healthy some of the time, most of the time. And then, but like she can pack it away. And I'm like, you're eating and I'm gaining the weight. What the fuck? You know, so she, it's hilarious. Um. So one, so one thing was that this film wrapped and started hitting the circuit in 2017, right? 
I'm trying to think. Will we premiere? Is it Sundance or? No, is it tri- it like has that- a Tribeca premiere? Um, not that long ago. I guess like yeah. February. I can't remember. February 2018, I want to say. 2018, okay. Right. And so we're- it was April 2018 and then got picked up and then released by Magnolia in theaters um, this past like Valentine's Day and then, you know, went into its other life video and all of that. Right. And so given the where we're at right now in the world and right. um, nobody really, uh, even in February, theaters and, and just going out was already starting to diminish and shrink. And so I'm, I mean, no one knew at Valentine's Day that anything was happening, mm-hmm. right? Like really you'd heard about it, but like, right. It was crazy. We had like a yeah. proper opening and then the world imploded. <laughs> so I do think that people this is definitely like a sleeper hit. So where where can people find this movie? Um like iTunes and Amazon mm-hmm. and most of the main like pay platforms and mm-hmm. I don't remember it when our like free window is cuz I'm terrible at that stuff. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll put it in right. somewhere but but it's, it's there and and it's I've gotten really wonderful responses. It's mm-hmm. it's been you know, we were New York Times critics pick, which was really fun. And um, I think my mom, you know, has gotten that, you know, gold plated or whatever. And uh, it, it's been a really fun experience. It was definitely, we shot it really fast. I had very big, like, vision in my head for what, like, a little amount of money we had. Um, and we were really lucky. We shot, as you said, in Toronto, but also in Buffalo. And we had an tremendous crew tremendous team and they got a much bigger movie than like our budget was and I think it really you know watching Zoe do this is the, just a, such a fun ride yeah you know so I think that one of the things that it just took my breath away that this movie was actually funny and I feel like <laughs> it's just so uncommon that a movie can surprise me anymore. And so I was just so delighted um, by that. So I wanted you to talk a little bit about, you know, you you did mention Brian Saka's script and how tight it was and how crackling. And I totally agree with that. And I was wondering if you would just talk about why you, why did you feel like this story needed to be told? I mean, I think what you just said is kind of it though. It surprised me. Mm-hmm. Right. It, it, it wasn't like I was like, I must tell a story about like a low rent female wolf of Wall Street who's like starts a debt collecting business. Um, it just it was funny. It had something to say about. Like kind of America and like the kind of, you know, what that real like kind of money at all costs and how like that can bring you down faster than anything and also just the indebtedness of America that that like that unbridled ambition ends up actually digging us into a hole Mm -hmm. and um and there's nothing wrong with ambition but it was just that feeling of like that anything for money kind of vibe really you really miss something and I think we're all you know the universe is showing us all sorts of versions of this of like slow down stop and not it's not all fun it's you know it's not like like I'm enjoying the slow down part I'm enjoying the be with my kids part, but we're all also like freaking out and are having anxiety and depression. And it's like having to just reframe everything. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so for me, 
I think I fell in love with the character. I fell in love with the comedy. I fell in love that it was about something kind of real and like the unequal playing field. Like the, it's basically for me, it's about the myth sounds very pretentious. It's about the myth of American meritocracy. Um, yeah. I don't think that sounds pretentious at all. Um, I think that um, that comes through for sure. Yeah. And I think that this idea that like, she feels like she's been told whether that's as a woman or a person from the rest belt or wherever that all you have to do is work hard to get ahead. And it just ain't so. It just ain't so. You have to work hard and be lucky and have a leg up. And, you know, and I think that, like, understanding that you're never, like, it's not going to be a level playing field. So what mm -hmm. can you do to, like, craft what the world you want? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because you're probably not going to, you're not going to level it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you got to, like, do a completely different approach. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what I loved about it. But it was like, I'm making it sound like broccoli. Like it's a super fun ice cream sundae that has all this like stealth broccoli. Mm -hmm. um, I actually like broccoli, which is gross, but I know I love it. What are you going to say? Well, no, broccoli <laughs> with some olive oil and some garlic hook me up but you know i think there's something to be said for the uh, approach to examining um american class and economic issues through the lens of satire and comedy when we look at things like fun with dick and jane or sorry mm -hmm. to bother you um the big short this movie fits right in with right. all of those and like your options are you can watch a michael moore movie and want right. to fucking kill yourself at the end right. because like we because even though they're fun they're it's a it's a big load of too honest too yeah. much you're just you look at your life and you're like this is insurmountable nothing can change uh you know the cards are stacked and when you watch a movie like this it's the same honesty and the brutal uh mirror is is asking you to look at yourself look at yourself being you know americans looking at america right. but instead of the feeling of um hopelessness you're just cracking up that's the hope. And I think, you know, also like, I love that she does bad shit and goes to jail. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, like, I like that there isn't like, this to me wasn't like glorifying the robber baron for getting away with fucking us over. <laughs> right? It was actually glorifying like, okay, you're right. It ain't fair. And still you don't get to be an asshole. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know, that like, doing like just joining the bad guys ain't the way to go right yeah and i think that uh, uh the experience of having credit companies or, or i should say credit collection companies right, calling you is very common and even universal if you've ever been late on a medical or education payment um most of us have, but I don't know how many people actually know the lawlessness yeah. behind debt collection. And, you know, you think it's, it's just almost you. the mob. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's almost I mean, the there mob. may be, there are probably, right. There's all gradations of reputable people collecting debts. And then there's just, and they are large Senator Buffalo. And there, there is just the horrible things that debt collection companies have done in the name of collecting pennies on the dollar. I mean, and, and you know, the other thing, and it only gets at it kind of, kind of tangentially or in a kind of tertiary way is, is the medical debt is like mm -hmm. 
part of the reason we're such an indebted nation isn't because everyone wants the seventh iPhone, that too, but it's actually mm-hmm. because we have no healthcare system. No, like we spend, you know, triple. <laughs> we do have socialized medicine. It's called the emergency room. And we spend three yeah. times as much as we need to. And then we saddle people with insurmountable medical debt for no good reason except to get a few companies wealthy. Mm-hmm. Like it's crazy. And again, this just kind of gets at this from an oblique angle. It's, it's kind of the underpinning, but it's not really what it's about. But boy, I learned a lot. Um, in researching it. And it's heartbreaking and unnecessary. (laughs) I also wanted to talk to you to kind of switch directions a little bit. I really appreciated the aesthetic of the film. And I mentioned that a little bit. It, um, you know, the way that it feels very authentically Buffalo and authentically Rust Belt. Mm -hmm. But there was a lot in the movie that was just um, colorful and big and beautiful just aesthetically very easy to look at you know your eyes are just like yes please so talk to me about how you came up with the um with the set and costumes and production and what was your aesthetic yeah I had this incredible team and I kind of said okay everyone like part of my my conversation when I was meeting um my production designer and the, the costume designer is the costume designer from Schitt's Creek. And then oh. Gord, who's the production designer, is this amazing um, production designer up in Toronto. And then and our DP was this, like, young upstart. Like, he's, like, won the, um, like, I think the, like, you know, upcoming Canadian cinematographer of the year or something. And, um, but uh, what was interesting is, like, A, we were, by being outside of Toronto, but kind of we're only an hour away from Buffalo for a large part, and then also in Buffalo for a little bit, it already kind of had, we were in the right area of the world. We weren't trying to like make this in, you know, like Dusseldorf or something. Like we were in the right area of the world with the right architecture, the right colors, the right palette. Um, And then I, what I tend to do and I, and I was work, you know, I like to have a palette of colors that are in the movie and that are not in the movie Mm -hmm. because I find when you don't have a lot of money by just making a couple of choices, like that, you start to, the look starts to come together. So Gord and I, um, who was my production designer, we just started, I just pulled tons of images and they do too. And we just started looking and I went, well, it's definitely red and blue mm-hmm. um, for the Buffalo Bills. And because like immediately Zoe gravitated towards red, it's her favorite color. Mm-hmm. So I was like, red is Peg's color. And the film, the palette was really clear. It was like, and there's so much red brick and red. So red and then blue for the bills and then green for money. And that was it. And I like banished like yellow and orange and purple for the most part from the movie. There's we their crazy house. We found this thing. I had this crazy orange retro tiled kitchen, which I loved. And so there was like this one orange exception because I mm-hmm. love the kitchen, but for the most part, and it was so like, it would drive everyone nuts because, like, the costume designer would show me some great purple thing. I was like, "No, nope." Not and they work. were like, "But do you really mean it?" I'm like, "It only works if I really mean it." Yeah. <laughs> and so we just stuck with like for both costumes and design those three colors, and then we let yellow only come in really largely through the quality of the light and the warmth mm. of the light. And so that was the other thing is I really wanted it to have like a warm look. Like you think of Buffalo as this like bleak and. Um, Cold winter, kind of cold endless winter. winter, and just gray and drab, and even in the summer. And and so I wanted, I think, I thought the comedy would come through by warming it up a little bit. Mm. So I let 
like it go more golden mm-hmm. to make it more inviting. So that was part of the conceit with the cinematography. And then my like, whereas hysteria was very like much an exercise on formalism. Like here's the box yeah. of the universe. You know, you don't get to fit in the box, right? It was all about like, are you in the box or not? And then all the rules were like, you know, about very elegant camera movement and elegant. And this, I was like, no rules. Mm-hmm. Like Peg is like, fuck it. So I'm like, fuck it. So we were like, we'd be like, <laughs> This these characters, the camera's always moving, and this one, it's always handheld, and we just like, and then we would, even when we assigned a rule, we would break our own rule, um, because we just felt like that was the spirit of Peg, and Peg was the movie, and yeah. so that was kind of our, I, I everything I had been incredibly disciplined about in the prior movie, I just went <laughs> about because I just want, thought that was what the movie was asking for, mm-hmm. um, and let it tell me really what it wanted to become, so. Yeah. Yeah. So I also, um, you had kind of touched on this when we first started talking as well, when you were talking about how you, what kind of scripts you wanted to start seeing. Right. And I was wondering if you could speak a little bit to the, um, just how you see um, female directors in the industry taking up space. What direction are we moving in terms of um, having more women directing more, uh, vehicles for just like really powerful characters and mm. and really um yeah just character driven stories i mean i gotta say i have no idea <laughs> <laughs> um i know that there are more women getting more gigs mm-hmm. and that seems more fair definitely i mean and everything else uh, you know like i love that i want i want there to be able to be more female character. You know, I think still it's like 25% or 30% of dialogue is spoken by women. Right. And like, so, I mean, I, I want there to be an opportunity for more equity mm-hmm. and kind of representation throughout. And then I'm kind of, you know, and I want more jobs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but beyond that, I get kind of wary of like essentialism and, and, and scripting all that stuff. Like I want to be able to tell like the born identity with a bunch of dudes and not have that be like a dude's movie. Right. I love that movie. That is one of my favorite movies. Right. And it's like, (laughs) and I don't like, you know, like men have been doing like girly rom-coms forever. Mm -hmm. So like, I don't want to be now like the girl movie. Yeah. Or I just don't want us to only, like I love a strong female character. I love a strong male character. I love a weak male character. Like if it's a great character and a great actor, I want to be able to direct that. And I think we are not at a place where we're gender blind yet and all of that. But I think I also don't want to be at a place where it's like, you know, you could only do things about women or gay people or this or that. And at the same time, I'd be perfectly happy directing movies only about women for the rest of my life because like we haven't had as many great roles for great actresses and there are so many out there. So like, I'm kind of, it's funny. I'm like, I was, uh, there's this one movie I just read and it was like, it's like almost all female cast, female producer, female. And and I was like, and it's like pretty commercial. And I was like, yeah, let's go. So like, that sounds awesome. But so does like, me and a bunch of sci-fi nerd dudes, right? Like I'm very um, open to that. And I think we, I just want 
the world to just like break open in that way, you know? And like, we can, you know, all any female director I know wants to be as a director, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know? And I think we would love just like, like the LGBTQ stuff. Like I just want to, you know, when I was fighting for marriage, I was fighting for marriage, not gay marriage, like in a way. Right. And it was like marriage equality. And I think it's the same thing. You have to kind of identify with the community and you love, love, hate, but I, I, you know, you love your community or your affinity group or whatever. um, And you need that identification to kind of work together and rise up. But at the same time, you're kind of fighting for the right to be boring (laughs) and just be like everybody else. Like just, just be the essential parts of you, which are yes, part gay, part female, part, you know, but they're also universalizable because they're also human. human. And I would never run away from it, but I would never want it to be the, the only aspects that define me. Your comment about directing movies about strong female characters really reminded me of, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was asked, mm-hmm. when will there be enough women on the Supreme Court when there are nine? <laughs> right. Because w- their women have universalizable experiences. We are human beings. We are fully capable of, uh, yeah, doing everything that men have ever done. So our well, stories are valuable. Non-female identified people um, are more interesting now. So like my son, who is uh, you know, going to be 21, like identifies as, you know, pan and poly and called me a heteronormative, terrible lesbian. Like, <laughs> it was just like, <laughs> put him in time out. I was like, <laughs> I know he's a little old for that, but come on. I know. I'm like, you're not <laughs> just, no, I just felt like an old, you know, the old dyke around the corner. I was like, wow. okay, whatever I am. But it's like, you know, he, <laughs> You know, and he has a girlfriend and like he could be very much seen as like straight dude, right? Mm-hmm. But he doesn't identify that way at mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. He's much more interesting and he is just as interested in queer art and you know, art focused on women and you know, and media of all and he's a gamer and he's a game designer and and he's very interested in like, you know, just that idea like the avatar you jump into may have nothing to do with mm-hmm. your presentation in the real world. And so Um, I think there's a lot of, you know, there's a shift, but it's coming, but it's, you know, generational. And the idea that like, you know, bro-y dudes are not interested in like a woman's experience. I think that's Uh going to shift. Or they're just going to get left behind by game-changing movies like Little Women and all these other movies that, uh, I mean, gosh, how many freaking vehicles has, uh, Re- uh, what's her name? Not Renee Zellberger. Um, she's small, legally blonde. She's Oh, Reese Witherspoon. Reese Witherspoon. Yeah, yeah. She's, I mean, she's been rolling shit out lately. So yeah, I think um, your, your son, he's so funny that what he was saying is so funny to me for um, listeners who, uh, who, I mean, haven't read, haven't just finished reading your Wikipedia. You got married. I in, haven't read my Wikipedia. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm now an expert on you. I'm ready to Uh-oh. write your biography because Maybe. I read your Wikipedia and I'm I found sure out. It's updated. <laughs> I found out you got married in 2004 in Massachusetts. So that would have been. And I'm before. getting divorced now. Oh, wow. No, I don't know if it is updated. Well, that I did not read, but I, but you were basically, um, 
It's okay. You, I have a hot girlfriend Oh. <laughs> but you were you were at the front of this battle for marriage equality before it was even nationally available and so you you know what it's like to be um yeah right my, there my college the- sweetheart and I had four kids and were married and to get you know married for 16 17 years and together for was it more than 17 years 27 and um and we are now like separated and divorcing but you know we have four amazing kids and and then my girlfriend has two kids and her girlfriend has two kids. And there's like lesbians and moms <laughs> and people all over the place. And, um, Oh, congratulations but, on your expanding yeah. family. That's oh my God. <laughs> um, so many people, but, um, yeah, we were definitely about to be very complicated, definitely part of the marriage equality movement. And, um, you know, with gay marriage, you also have gay divorce. What are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Yep. Comes See, with it. fought for the right to be just as, dumb as everybody else. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's fantastic. So, um, Tanya, what are you going to do next? What is on the horizon? Uh, I sh- I'm in post-production on a film called Jolt, J-O-L-T, with Kate Beckinsale, and she plays like a woman with like serious impulse control and anger management problems who uh, has this like device where in order to stop herself from beating the shit out of people, she gives herself electric shocks. Um, it's bananas. It's like a crazy, very dark action comedy, kind of in a more of a Tarantino style. Um, uh, Kate's amazing and brilliant and funny and dark. And I would love doing action. And um, she so basically her, her like boyfriend, like she kind of, it's not really her boyfriend, but this guy who's like the first time she's ever kind of, possibly thought about like having like a normal life and happiness gets killed. And so she goes on a big revenge tear to like, just kick everyone's ass. So that was really fun. I really loved that. And then um, we're finishing that and we're kind of in a weird holding pattern. We're finished editing, but we're doing, um, we have some like reshoots to concoct and a few other things. And so we're in a little limbo right now, but we're working on the VFX and the sound and all that fun stuff while we wait. And then, um, and then who knows? I'm I'm reading a lot of uh, projects and looking for the next thing. That's super exciting. Well, I for one am very excited to see Jolt. I, um, but yeah, yeah. I, I liked Hysteria and I really liked Buffaloed, and I'm definitely a Tanya Wexler fan now. So thank, thank you, you so much for your time. We oh, definitely really appreciated it after Alan and I. Um, yeah, I can't wait to share this with our listeners. Oh, I'm really appreciative. Thank you so much. Enjoy your quarantining. Thank you. You too. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the After Ellen podcast. Give us a follow at After Ellen. We are very pumped about this podcast. You know, we're still just taking our baby steps with it. So we'd love to hear your feedback. Let us know how you think we're doing and what you want to hear on future episodes of the After Ellen podcast.